Hello and welcome to The Global Inquirer. We're an undergraduate research podcast based in the University of Virginia, and each week we bring you stories from across the world to explain how global trends are impacting real lives. I'm your host, Emma Ross. Today, we'll be discussing the future of Germany and how that impacts about every other country in its corner of the world. I'm sitting down with Maggie Sparling, a second year majoring in history and economics with a minor in foreign affairs as well as Alma Wolf, a second year global security and justice major. We're talking about where Germany's going. Obviously, we have to talk about where Germany has been and talk about the Princess of Europe, Angela Merkel, the woman who won the Time 2015 Person of the Year Award. So obviously, it's a pretty big deal and she's done a lot to impact the future of Europe, the future of every other country in the area. So Maggie, could you talk a little bit more about the implications of her chancellorship? Yeah, absolutely, Emma. Thank you so much. Okay, so if we look at the chancellors of Germany, especially even kind of coming through the Cold War years, only one other chancellor has been in power for as long as she has. Um, Helmut Kohl, who was the chancellor who oversaw the reunification of the country, was the only one who held office longer than she did. And in 2005, she became the chancellor of Germany, and she was the first woman and the first East German to be elected into this position. Through her leadership, she's overseen the country through a number of crises. One of their most prominent and earliest was in 2008 with the financial crisis and the consequent uh, Eurozone crisis. The following year was the refugee crisis in which she opened the borders and led a whole bunch of refugees into the country in what was a move praised by many, but also opposed by many in Germany. The decision has arguably contributed to the rise of the AFD or the alternative for Germany in the years that have followed. And then most recently, she has been the helm of the country as Germany has been fighting through the pandemic and the current crises and the repeated lockdowns um, has definitely posed a series of challenges for her party, the CDU, and has been impactful for her role as leader in the country. That is so interesting. Thank you so much for all of that background, Maggie. I think ooh, there's a lot to unpack there from her role in the Eurozone crisis and that response as well as her role in the refugee crisis and opening her country's borders to so many. So if we were just to sit down and talk about Angela Merkel's past, we could have an entire episode about that. But I guess what we're trying to do is trying to use her background to pivot then and say, what does that say about where Germany is going? As you and I know, there's going to be an election in September and Germany has to pick someone new to lead their country. What are Germans thinking as they're going into September? What are the stakes and who are the likely candidates to succeed? Yeah, absolutely. What's kind of significant about this election, uh, first of all, is this is the first time the governing party is going to be campaigning without an incumbent chancellor. The country has no playbook to operate by. There's no precedent. So they're kind of moving into uncharted territory. And the reason for this is in December 2018, Merkel resigned as the leader of the CDU. She had carefully orchestrated the political succession that was to follow. She had handpicked her successor to be Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer. AKK, as she is commonly known, struggled to maintain party unity and ultimately stepped down in February 2020 following some internal division and controversies over some state elections. So this kind of opened the door for a very contested race to replace her within the CDU, the Christian Democrat Union, in general for a very contested federal election in 2021. So the big kind of party and governing coalition that's played a significant role in past elections has been the Christian Democrat Union, the CDU, and their sister party, the CSU, which is based out of Bavaria, one of Germany's states. And there was a very contested election over who was going to lead the CDU-CSU coalition just a few weeks ago at the end of April. They finally made the decision and we're going to have Armin Laschet, who's going to lead the CDU into this national or the federal election. 
The election of last year was seen as an affirmation of Merkel's leadership, the party's centrist orientation, but he's kind of going in with a strained party coalition. There was that election of who was going to lead the CDU-CSU coalition was very contested, uh, very much fought over, and this is kind of strained party unity, and it's going to impact the party's viability in the federal election. The other really prominent candidate in this election is actually the Green Party, Annalena Baerbach. Um, this is the first time the Green Party fielded a serious candidate for the chancellorship in Germany, but also in kind of Europe as a whole. So the entire continent is kind of watching, trying to see what the viability of the Green Party could be in federal elections. Interesting. You know, I think that's a pretty good introduction to the world of German politics, which I guess we'll be stepping into in this episode. And I mean, the German voters are definitely going to have a large decision in front of them, whether to put another stamp of approval on the CDU, which is where Angela Merkel was coming from, or maybe take out some of their anger that they might have had towards Angela Merkel and maybe towards refugee crises, towards the response to the coronavirus pandemic, you know, what have you, whatever grievances the voters have had, whether they will continue to support the party that's been in power for quite a long time, or maybe try something new. And I think the turnout of the Green Party is going to kind of indicate voter discontent potentially, but I'm sure feel free to contradict me and feel free to kind of bring your research towards my two cents on this topic. I'm also curious about your research in the current polling data and what political scientists are currently anticipating will happen in September. Coalition governments are very common in German politics, and there is a lot of suggestions that there's going to be a coalition actually between the CDU and Greens, which as Americans can seem kind of shocking that the two most prominent parties competing for the election could be in a governing coalition together. Between the CDUs and Greens, it's really a question of who's going to be the senior and who's going to be the junior partner. Both are expected to play a prominent role in the next government. It's just a question of which party will take the crown jewel and be able to put the appropriate candidate as the chancellor. Researching this topic and working through it, we wanted to keep in mind that these aren't just issues that happen in the theoretical realm. These are global trends that are impacting real lives. Real people are impacted by this. And so I'm going to hand it off to Amra to kind of discuss how things are looking on the ground and what the German people's perspective is on it. Thank you, Maggie. Yes, so I um, was fortunate enough to be able to meet with one of my relatives who lives in Germany and, of course, is experiencing all of these political battles, political outcomes in her real life. And so I'm just going to hand over to her to introduce herself. I'm Wiebke. I'm 35 years old and I live in Hanover, Germany. I have a bachelor degree in political science and geography and actually two masters, one in European studies and one in social science. I do work as a project manager in the field of um, vocational training for high school kids. But currently, I'm at home for two years on parental leave, but I go back in the summer when my daughter turns two. When I met with Bibka, I asked her about this, the election, how she thinks it will play out, and some of the issues that are important to her. And here's what she had to say. The COVID-19 issue is like probably the most prominent because is there like election campaigning just focusing on COVID-19 or will they actually talk about other topics or like this is like a dynamic that's not really clear yet because the major parties just finished announcing their candidates they're like still trying to pinpoint like what to say now what not to say yet when to say what like right now COVID-19 is like the issue 
So as you can see, the COVID-19 pandemic has really overshadowed the election in a lot of ways, much as it did with our American presidential election. That's just really what's been on the mind of many German citizens. She also emphasized how much environmental issues are at the forefront of her mind. Many of us would agree with that it's at the forefront of our minds as well when we're entering these elections, but it kind of goes to show that there are different values between the German citizens and maybe what's being represented by the politicians who are at the top. Thank you, Alma, for bringing us that perspective. And, you know, I think it's so interesting that environmental issues are so prevalent in Germany, especially now. I really hope this is kind of a positive indicator of things to come. It's also not surprising at all that German voters, much like American voters, have the pandemic on the mind. You just mentioned these are a couple policy issues that are weighing heavily on the minds of Germans. And in a smaller perspective, so Maggie, let's zoom out again and talk about policy issues in the big picture. And let's talk about what will generally be the flashpoints in German policy questions. Kind of important to remember that even as German people are focused on the pandemic, and rightfully so, and the environment, there's still a lot of important policy decisions that still have to be made. And these are primarily being addressed by policy elite. And one of the major areas where we see them focusing is on foreign policy issues, especially China's greater role in the foreign policy world and their greater weight they're able to play in the international arena. This is, you know, especially a flashpoint and a contentious issue that policymakers are going to have to address after the election in September. So kind of to discuss the China issue and pick kind of one of the many flashpoints in German Chinese relations, we're going to go into looking at Huawei, the Chinese telecommunications company who's seeking to play a significant role in the construction of Germany's 5G network. Uh, but kind of before jumping into that issue, there's kind of a few things to remember about German foreign policy and their constraints and the nature of the decisions they're able to make. The first thing to remember is hard power is kind of off the table for Germany, especially given their history in World War II and Nazi Germany's past. They have to rely on soft power as their primary way to exert influence on the international arena. Second is... A lot of people have talked about the changing relationship between Europe and the United States. Some have even discussed a possible decoupling in a sense or a decreased alliance between the two. But even as people point out this change in the relationships, it's important to note that transatlantic ties are still very strong, especially relative to other international partnerships and alliances. Interesting. While you were explaining that, I was kind of thinking, too, that while dealing with China, hard power isn't going to get Germany very far, even regardless of its history, even if it was allowed to build it up. Because I think with China, Germany's tools of trade sanctions or other economic measures might be more impactful anyway. But yeah, as we're discussing these two foreign policy giants and Germany's future, how do their economic ties look now and maybe how, where might their economic ties be going in the future? In terms of exports, German exports to China account for about 7.5% and is dominated by the transportation exports, chemicals, machinery, and things of the sort. By comparison, so 7.5% going to China, there's 9.1% of their exports going to the United States and it's dominated by similar goods. And so this kind of just gives an indication of that nature of the trade relationship. And then if we flip it to the import side, German imports from China are about 8% and German imports from the United States are about 5%. So China has surpassed the United States in terms of providing goods for Germany, indicating that growing economic relationship between the two countries. Interesting to note 
the trade deficit between Germany and China is actually a much tighter one compared to other countries such as the United States and many other countries that trade heavily with China, which just kind of indicates the power of the German economic sector and their ability to wield their economic sector and manufacturing capacity as a major source of influence in their relationship with China. And then the other kind of thing to note about this is Germany is actually integral to China's economic boom in, you know, a number of years ago in the early 2000s. That relationship has kind of continued and China is now in a central market for Germany as Germany seeks to continue their exports and raise their economy from pandemic recessions. China is a critical market. The auto sector dominates German exports and, you know, accounts for about 20 percent. And maintaining access to the Chinese market is going to be critical as Germany seeks to rebuild their economy in a post-pandemic world. Yeah, and if I've learned anything about Germany in the past few years of studying them, it's that they are very proud of their fiscal responsibilities. It makes sense that it's the same in their trade dealings with China. Could you zoom in a little bit on Angela Merkel in particular and her general policy towards China? Absolutely. So Marco's policy towards China has been conditioned by the country's economic relations. This is very much at the forefront of her mind. The Chinese market is critical for the strength and health of the German economy, and she wants to kind of preserve those ties. And that's influenced the policy decisions she's made kind of moving towards it. In the early 2000s, kind of aligned with other Western politicians, there was hope that they could use economics to transform the political environment. And she's kind of been one of the guardians of this vision over a number of years. As time has passed, Western politicians have realized that this wasn't necessarily going to happen. It wasn't inevitable. It wasn't necessarily a viable model. So they've had to kind of change. And we've seen increasingly an adoption of new language, such as systemic competition or pointing out divisions between the Chinese model and the Western model of politics. Yeah, thank you, Maggie. And I think your research was incredibly relevant to get the perspective of the decision makers in Berlin from the top where they're planning on taking the future of Germany. Can we see maybe how public perception of China in general looks from the perspective of a German? Yes, so I did speak with Vibka about this also and just the public perception of China in Germany. I think in general, there's a strong relationship between both countries, especially like on the economy. But then again, there are also like fundamental differences and disagreements. I guess we have them with all. Like especially climate change is a big issue with China because, I mean, they definitely produce a lot. But then again, they pollute a lot. And that's probably something for the new chancellor that's going to be a big topic, especially with China. Then I think the overall concept of democracy, how China is handling it, dealing it, especially with Hong Kong in the past couple of years, don't really allow Hong Kong to use the democratic structures they already have. And that they're like more limiting those structures to a more like no opposition, real China friendly and follow their politics, even though Hong Kong had already like a good working democracy. So I think this is like a big issue coming from a country where democracy is kind of new and fresh thinking about the past of Germany. Um, so it's something like, I guess we're proud of, like for Germany, when it comes to China, obviously media, the right of media that like no critical opinions and comments are accepted and will be deleted immediately. And you, yeah, you can't find anything negative. That's, just, I think that's not how it works. 
Germany's democratic and human rights-centered values kind of give the public pause when it comes to China. They see in China a lack of respect for the rule of law, and so um, they're just a little less eager to be working with China in the ways that the political elites are willing to be. Yeah, those are definitely some really valid criticisms that I think the people might have more power to point out than diplomats. And, you know, I think we're talking so much about Germany and their relationship with China is because whatever Germany's relationship is going to be with China kind of spearheads or indicates what the rest of the European Union's relationship is going to be with China potentially. Uh, so Maggie, could you speak a little bit more to Germany's leadership role in spearheading European relations with China potentially? Yeah, so given Germany's strong economic relations with China, no other European country can compete with China on the same level Germany can. This gives them considerable weight in influencing EU policy towards China. They are the dominant actor in pretty much all policy decisions going towards China, or they're at least at a minimum a swing actor in which their vote is going to determine kind of the trajectory of continental policy. So this is just kind of important to keep in mind as we go into this Huawei issue and the 5G network of Germany is an influential player, and we'll see how that role plays out as we move forward with this issue. Right. So let's continue this story that we started about the future of Germany, which we kind of established is inevitably tied with the future of China because China is kind of pushing the markets and pushing the technology that seems to be shaping at least the beginning of the 21st century. So something that's become incredibly relevant is the 5G internet network. What exactly is China's role in the introduction of this network? And are there any security concerns that a country like China is the one that's spearheading its rollout? Yes, yeah, so kind of before delving into Huawei and in China's role in the rollout of the 5G network, let's kind of just back up and define what is you know, this 5G network as we're throwing this term around. So 5G is a fifth generation technology standard for broadband cellular networks. It's meant to replace 4G. Um, and the rollout began globally in 2019. 5G is gonna be especially critical as new applications of the internet are rolled out. It's increased bandwidth makes the increased use of AI technology possible. It's necessary if we're gonna be transitioning towards more electric cars and decreasing reliance on the oil and gas sector in that area. But all of this assumes that the internet can handle this increased load being placed on it. So 5G is critical as we move forward with this new kind of tech environment. And in terms of rolling out this 5G network and building the infrastructure, we're going to see a few companies playing especially prominent roles. So there's two prominent European countries with the capacity to roll out this technology. We're going to see a Finnish company called Nokia, as well as a Swedish company called Ericsson, playing significant roles in Europe. We're also going to see South Korea's uh, tech company, Samsung, playing a significant role in 5G network rollout. But the company we're kind of focusing on today is the very large Chinese company, Huawei, and their role in the rollout of the 5G network. So given the increasing importance of technology issues and AI and other things of this sort in terms of national security issues, as well as looking at the relationship between the CCP, China's Communist Party, and business in China, and seeing that kind of close relationship, there's concerns that having a Chinese company spearhead this technology effort in Europe could be a point of concern over security issues and could be a threat to national security. 
So kind of to discuss this a bit more, provide a bit more insight into the 4G, 5G network differences, some of the security concerns, I spoke with Andrew Small, a senior transatlantic fellow with the Asia program at the German Marshall Fund of the United States, a think tank. His research covers this intersection of German-European policy towards China, and he provided a bit more insight. You have one official who used to make this comparison with, he'd bring a pen and a phone out in his meetings, and he would show with a pen, he'd disassemble the pen and reassemble the pen. Um, he'd say, you know, you can inspect, as with 4G, everything about the pen, and when you reassemble it again, it's the same pen. But with the phone, because it's so software-centric, um, the contents of it can change at, at any moment. And, and effectively that 5G was a much more software centric um, uh, system that it was impossible to, to monitor all the, the prodigious levels of coding updates and things that took place. Um, and so even on a technical level, there were risks that 5G posed that were different. Yeah, so as Andrew Small mentioned, you know, this is a point of concern in a lot of different areas. We have tech concerns. We also have questions of European economic and technological sovereignty. And it is kind of in this environment and with these issues in mind that Germany and other European countries in the United States began to develop their policy response of how they were, how were they going to respond to the potential to use Huawei technology and their 5G rollout, especially given the lower cost associated with using their program and their ability to roll it out relatively quickly. So with China making these sweeping changes in areas of technology and cellular service and on this grand stage, what is Germany's role as a leader in Europe in responding to these changes? And what was Germany's broad response? Yeah, so European policy in general towards Huawei's influence and efforts to build a 5G network. And you know, important to keep in mind here is it wasn't just in Germany, it's across the entire European continent. The United States exerted a lot of influence on trying to limit Huawei's role and led a successful campaign, for example, in the UK in stopping their role in building the 5G network. But then when we look at in Germany, so in December 2020, Angela Merkel initially gave Huawei the green light to continue its technology in the construction of Germany's 5G networks. Um, this decision still needed parliamentary support. It kind of indicated that Germany was charting their own path and was wanting to be an independent actor on this. But to kind of discuss the flaming of this debate and the rising tensions in Europe over Huawei's role in 5G networks, I spoke with Sam Denny, a senior research assistant focused on German foreign policy based out of DC. And he's going to provide a little more background on the framing of it and the rising tensions. Really, the the kind of framing of this debate in Germany has taken place over the last five years or so. Um, the kind of wake up call, so to say, for Germany in terms of, of the danger posed by, I guess, Chinese investment in Europe and kind of the role that China plays in, in the German economy came in 2016 with a company called KUKA, which is a robotics firm. And so for background, this isn't necessarily related to Huawei, but this created was sort of the so-called wake-up call where Germany began to look at China differently. A Chinese company called the Medea Group offered to buy KUKA for, I think, 5 billion euros, something like that. This was a surprise offer, and KUKA was viewed by many to be the sort of crown jewel of German industry, German robotics. And Germany tried and failed to keep the ownership of the company uh, European. And so this started to make many people view China's kind of relationship with German business differently in kind of a national security and economic security perspective. And this was only intensified a few months later when uh, the Obama administration actually forced the German government to block the takeover of another German company called Extron, which it came out was involved 
and manufacturing chips for Patriot missile defense systems. So this is again amplified sort of the the national security implications of Chinese economic involvement in Europe. If your companies are involved in some point in the supply chain of either directly national security related products, so like missile systems or related products, so in thinking more in terms of of data protection and kind of communications infrastructure, that this may open up those technologies, those companies to technology theft or kind of the the theft of data. So that's for background, that is kind of how the sort of current debate in Germany um, over China and over Huawei began. And so Huawei in particular has been a flashpoint because it has increasingly pitted so the German government under Angela Merkel, so the actual the Bundesregierung, against a increasing chorus of, of parliamentarians of, of think tanks who are have been pushing for a more a tougher approach to Huawei. Merkel and her government largely resisting or only grudgingly moving towards a more securitized approach or a more hesitant approach to incorporating Huawei in German telecommunications. So since any kind of provided us with this nice background of how was Germany conditioned to approach this and how are they starting to look at China differently and how these tensions have played out and resulted in different policy decisions and an increasing tension among different policymakers over what that response should be. There's definitely not a monolithic viewpoint among German policymakers, even within the same political parties, over what that policy decision towards Huawei and China should look like. Yeah, and I wanted to kind of ask you here, I think it's incredibly important to put a splash of current events in this section because you mentioned to me earlier that there was a big change that came from the Bundestag. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I mentioned earlier, you know, that Merkel made this decision. She gave Huawei kind of like the green light to continue the rollout of Germany's 5G network and it needed parliamentary approval. There was kind of a lull in this. We didn't really see a decision happen for a number of weeks. And we finally got a decision of this at the end of April. The Bundestag, the German parliament, finally acted. And they kind of decided to fall in line with other EU countries and kind of take a different approach than what everyone thought Germany was initially going to take. So Merkel gave Huawei kind of the green light and this kind of reverse course. It blocks, quote unquote, untrustworthy companies, which is clearly meant to target Huawei, even if they don't call them out by name. It set a number of standards and ways for much stricter 5G rules. The government's able to block suppliers and telecom operators kind of moving forward. But then what's kind of critical about this is it leads a number of these decisions regarding the standards up to the government that forms in September and consequently makes the election important in determining what this policy looks like in practice. Interesting. So the German government there is kind of weighing its priorities between newer technology and making sure that technology is safe. And I wonder if there'll be any changes if larger competitors to Huawei ever roll out. But I'm just wondering your perspective and your researchers' perspective on the implications of this decision by the Bundestag. Okay, so to kind of kick off this conversation on the implications of this change, I'm going to refer back to my conversation with Andrew Small, the Transatlantic Fellow at the German Marshall Fund, And as he kind of discusses, and the impact on this timeline of the decision, the nature in which this decision was made. But Germany had been seen as kind of a hinge. Other European countries would follow. Instead, what happened was Germany was extremely slow in making its decision. And many other countries around Europe, in some cases encouraged by by the US, in some cases simply with their own kind of waking up to to, to the issues that were at stake with Huawei, 
moved generally in a critical direction. And so by the time you got to late last year, you essentially had Germany as one of the few major holdouts in the Western world that had not come up with a stricter set of criteria um, in dealing with, with Huawei. So kind of as Andrew Small mentioned at the end of that quote, Germany is kind of concerned over possible economic repercussions from this stricter policy towards Huawei, again, showing the influence of those economic relations on German policy towards China, just how those have really conditioned the country's policy response. And then the other kind of important thing to note about the, this decision was it kind of brings German policy more in line with United States hopes and desires for the 5G rollout in Europe. Um, even between the transition between the Trump and Biden administrations, the United States has maintained its opposition to Huawei's role in 5G networks in Europe, and the United States, for example, continues to block it in the United States. So this has this decision has brought Germany more in line with both Europe and with U.S. hopes of what policies should look like towards Huawei, 5G network, and technological issues. Right, and as you mentioned earlier, all of these kind of details are more important in the broader sense of the September election, and in this context of the Germans choosing new leadership. What is the kind of general consensus in Germany about what should be done? Yes, yeah, so with the September election in mind, and kind of, we, as we mentioned earlier, the CDU and the Green Party are seen by many policy analysts are going to be, that they're going to form a coalition government. And kind of regardless of who is a senior or a junior partner, there's kind of an expectation that a rebalancing is needed. Regardless of whose party is, this seems to be a viewpoint held across multiple political parties. So Sam Denny is going to just talk a bit more about the implications of this on decisions made by the political parties in Germany and how they're responding to it in the context of the election. If you look at the coalition math that's possible, I think you're likely to see a, a change in Germany's relationship with China either way. And so what party is leading the government, be it the CDU, Christian Democrats or Armin Laschet's party or the Greens under Annalena Baerbock um, will change the degrees by which that relationship changes. Under a CDU-led government, there is still this kind of same tension between business industry economic interests and then human rights interests would still exist, yet perhaps with much a harder tack towards the power of human rights and setting or the power of protecting democracy, protecting the liberal world order, and setting German foreign policy versus if you have, if you were to have a Green-led government under, say, a, a traffic-like coalition, so the Greens, the SPD, the Social Democrats, and then the, the Liberals, the Free Democrats, you could then expect more, even more of a kind of a guiding focus of German foreign policy on this competition of systems debate. And then to kind of delve more into the impact of the Green Party, and especially given that we've never really seen a Green Party play this prominent role in a federal election in Europe, Andrew Small is going to talk a bit more about their specific impact, what role the Green Party could have on this, and their kind of foreign policy decisions towards China. It's been an issue where the Greens have staked out arguably the most kind of coherent anti-authoritarian position, been very sharp on the on, on the Huawei and, and 5G question uh, in particular, but I, I think it would lead to, it, that we will see some degree of a rebalancing of, of German-China policy, and uh, the question is only to what degree, but I think there's a fair chance the Greens will have a, a, a fairly weighty voice in that, but it would be a much weightier voice, of course, if they were to come out on top and actually um, lead the coalition versus a situation, as we've had with 
in the last few years in which the Social Democrats have had a much more critical view on China and have had the foreign ministry, um, but have not on some of the really critical decisions been able to be able to affect uh, the outcomes, except to some extent in stalemating um, some of the decisions. And then kind of as both Sam Denny and Angie Small have mentioned, there's a lot of critical decisions that are just kind of going to be left up to whoever's in party afterwards. A lot of these policies were designed to give the next government the flexibility they need to make the appropriate decision. So we still, this is an issue that's still going to play out in September, and it's important to keep an eye on it and see how they respond to the changing nature of Germany's relationship with China and how they try to reconstruct that for the coming years. Right. So as our two guest speakers were kind of talking about, the German election and German changing leadership is going to impact a range of different German foreign policy issues. And as we know very intimately in the United States, new administration comes with new sets of foreign policy changes. So how will the new US government, as well as in September, the new German government, potentially work together to address this beast of a question that is China and the Huawei 5G internet question? So kind of regardless of who wins the election in September, we're going to see both parties have hopes of working closely with the United States in addressing China and how can they work cooperatively on China in general, but also more specifically on technological issues and 5G rollout. There's a number of areas of cooperation in which the United States and Europe can really wield their influence, especially in the tech environment. One of which is on 5G standards, um, technological standards in general, their regulatory influence. Europe has a lot of power in the regulatory environment. Their soft power in these areas is really how they wield their influence since we don't really see them using hard power in general to the same extent they did in previous decades. So, but in order to wield this influence, they're gonna to need to work closely with the United States so they can capitalize on US market power and use their combined economic might to counter China in a meaningful way. Yeah, I think this episode was a really fun journey that incorporated a lot of really interesting elements from speculation about Germany's future to speculation about how that impacts the whole of Europe and the whole of Asia, the US, the entire world. Even though Germany is just one small part in it, they are a potentially influential part. So could you maybe finish this episode off with a couple key takeaways about the power of German influence? Like I was kind of just mentioning, Germany and Europe in general, we had a lot of their influence through the regulatory environment, through setting standards, through being able to work the United States in cooperation with international institutions to influence policy decisions towards countries like China, but as well as Russia and other against China and Russia, Iran and things of the sort. But their power comes through the ability to act as a unit, especially within Europe. Germany may be influential in that ultimate decision making, but they are not the sole actor. They cannot act independently. And even though they carry a lot of influence, they need to be able to carry their European allies along with those decisions. And kind of in that light, there's a lot of other factors affecting the viability of that model. For example, French upcoming French elections and the possibility of Marine Le Pen's influence in their country and her more Eurosceptic approach could threaten the viability of a unified EU approach, even though that's ultimately, as I would argue, in the best interest of Europe for them to act as a unit. But just kind of to keep in mind that even though Germany is very influential, they still are only one actor in a bigger puzzle piece that is Europe as well as global politics. And that's our episode for this week. As always, thank you for listening to The Global Inquirer and thank you to Maggie Sparling and Alma Wolf for bringing us this week's story. 
Additionally, we'd like to thank our special guests, Ms. Vika Seifer, Mr. Sam Denny, and Mr. Andrew Small for appearing on this week's episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Consider leaving a comment and liking us on Facebook.